Welcome to Drones Over Canada. I'm your host, Dave. Today is episode 13. And following up on our Ask Dave episode, today's episode is going into special flight operations. Now, we will deal with SFOCs in particular. We're also going to dive into some of the other flights that we may need to accomplish, especially in commercial operations. We're going to talk a little bit about flying in controlled airspace and best practices. We'll also talk about flying near an aerodrome and a heliport. And of course, like I said, we'll touch on the actual SFOC process with Transport Canada, as well as when that might be required. Now, as I said, today's the 13th episode. Still a fairly new podcast, but we're approaching a thousand downloads, which is absolutely fantastic. So thank you to all of you who listen. And don't be afraid to reach out via email at dave at dronesovercanada.ca. If you haven't already done so, check out our Facebook page as well as our Facebook group. The Facebook group in particular is extremely valuable. We have lots of free resources on there for people that are learning about RPAS operations. And there's a whole community there where we can reach out and speak to each other and learn from each other, which is really what aviation is all about. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Drone Air is an aerial services company based just outside of Barrie, Ontario, specializing in both commercial drone operations as well as drone education. They're on the approved flight school list issued by Transport Canada and are able to help you out with any of your RPAS requirements. Don't be afraid to reach out for them for more information or if you just want to explore the world of RPAS, there's no obligation and the courses are absolutely fantastic. They have both a basic course and an advanced course. They do have an online portion associated with both of those. As well, they use Zoom and Google Meets to really give you that one-on-one -on -one feeling. Each student has their own dedicated instructor that's available 24 hours a day with questions by email, text, or phone. The program is really set up so you'll be confident enough to actually go out and perform your operations, not just pass the Transport Canada tests. So if you're looking to get in touch with them, check them out on Facebook, facebook.com slash droneairtoday or www.droneairtoday.com. Alternatively, you can call or text them at 705-990-1091. All right, guys, the first thing we're going to talk about in this episode is controlled airspace operations. Now, just to recap a few rules. First of all, there is a difference between operating in controlled airspace and operating near an aerodrome. They both fall into different CARS regulations. Now, this is a little bit of a sticking point because a lot of our press operations assume that if you have NAV Canada approval to operate in controlled airspace, that you can do so. However, it is possible that the specific aerodrome will have specific procedures, and either way, you do need permission from them. Now, going off personal experience, 95% of the time, if they are in controlled airspace, they will defer to NAV Canada. And this makes sense, because a lot of the time, these airports are actually controlled themselves, meaning they have a ground control, maybe a clearance delivery to issue IFR clearances. They also have a tower controller, and it, does, it doesn't really make sense for the aerodrome itself or the aerodrome operator 
to get involved with something like that. However, with certain airports, they may not have that same level of control or for whatever reason, maybe they're located near a big city and they have a lot of RPAS operations. They might've gone ahead and designed their own RPAS safety plan. In these cases, you will need to comply with their restrictions as well as the restrictions placed on you by Nav Canada. So let's say you wanna operate in controlled airspace, but just for this discussion, it's more than three nautical miles away from an airport. How do you go about getting that permission? As I'm sure you know, you need to be an advanced certificate holder. There's absolutely no way that a basic certificate holder can operate in controlled airspace. That's one of the reasons that the requirements for the advanced operations certificate are so much more intense. You really need to be able to understand how these controlled operations work in order to operate safely in them. So assuming you do have an advanced certificate in our past operations, you go ahead on the NAV Canada website and there's a form you can fill out where you detail your operation. Now it's best to get your details of the operation in a row ahead of time, things like the location. Now you're gonna need that in latitude and longitude as well as your planned altitude, your planned duration, a cell phone number to contact the RPAS pilot at, and any other details about your mission. Once you send that off, it's gonna to go to the area controller, so the FIR. They're gonna have a designated Nav Canada employee who's responsible for receiving those emails and vetting them. Now in the future, we may be able to speak with a Nav Canada controller. That's something we're working on on the podcast. But for now, suffice to say that that individual is going to look at your request and either approve or deny it. Now, it's very rare that it's flat out denied, but it could be. For example, if the airspace is closed or there's some overriding safety of flight consideration, it may be denied. And normally in the email, they'll explain why. That way you can maybe change your mission or plan it on another day. Assuming it's not denied, it may be approved as is, or it may be approved with certain modifications. Modifications could include things like a certain time of day or a certain altitude limitation. These will all be very clearly laid out in the email, as well as a contact individual who they'd like you to call. Again, depending on the nature of your operation, this could be as simple as call before and call after your operation. Normally this is your first point of contact in an emergency as well or they could have a little bit more specific instructions. I've even seen ones where they would like an individual to maintain constant communication with them over phone for the duration of the operation. Now in a case like that, it wouldn't really be feasible for you as the operator to do it. You'd have to have another crew member who would be able to do that for you. Now, one of the questions that we get asked a lot on the podcast is what about a VHF radio? As we've talked about before, I really do believe that nine times out of 10, a VHF radio, even a VHF receiver, causes more issues than it helps. The reason behind this, I'll reiterate from our previous episode, is A, because most individuals are not trained in radio telephony. It's one thing to have your radio telephone license issued by Industry Canada, and it's another that you use it on a daily basis and are able to understand what's going on. If you can understand what's happening, it's really not worth having, and it could actually create more issues. The second thing is the transmitting ability of a ground small 
VHF radio transmitter is going to be very limited. Chances are you will not be able to reach ATC. You will generally have to be relayed by another aircraft, and that's causing a whole bunch of other issues, not to mention you're probably not comfortable enough speaking on the radio or understanding what they're saying. Probably not worth it. If you do want to get involved, get your Industry Canada radio telephone license, aeronautical, and maybe buy a small VHF set that you can listen to while you're doing your operation. This will get you in the mindset, get your ear tuned to how the frequency works and how the transmissions are made. And that way in the future, maybe it'll be more of a tool than a hindrance. Now, once you actually start your operation in controlled airspace, it's very important that you follow any of the rules that now Canada has laid out. It's also very important that if anything goes wrong, you immediately reach out to them and explain what happened. In aviation, it's always better to be very upfront and honest. That way, safety of flight is not affected or is affected as little as possible. And we can chalk it up to a learning mistake and move on. The last thing anybody wants to do is endanger human life. The next thing we're going to talk about is operations near an aerodrome. Now, as we know from our regulations, any operations within three nautical miles of a certified aerodrome, what known as an airport, or one nautical mile within a heliport, you need to have the permission of the aerodrome operator and follow any protocols that they have in place for our pass operations. Now, practically speaking, as we said earlier, most of the time in controlled airspace, an airport will defer to NAV Canada. However, it is still imperative that if you don't have any written procedures for that airport, that you reach out to them and speak with the aerodrome operator. The heliport is a very similar situation. However, because a lot of heliports are located in cities, this is the restriction you're more often going to come up against. Now, I'll give you a little bit of a hint. 95% of the time, heliports are located in hospitals. And 95% of the time, in those hospitals, it's the maintenance personnel. So normally, they're called the director of facilities or the director of maintenance, who's actually responsible for coordinating RPAS operations. Now, we're fortunate enough and now that RPAS operations have actually become fairly mainstream. But if you start asking the security switchboard lady about RPAS operations, they're going to be quite confused. So ask to be directed to the director of maintenance. Now, it's best that you do this during normal working hours. However, most of the time, security will have an RPAS plan if you can't reach the director of, of maintenance. Now, when you speak to this individual, Generally, they'll be very in the know about our pass operations and they'll understand what you're trying to do. Sometimes they have their own procedures and this could involve calling them directly. Oftentimes, they'll give you a cell phone number where you can reach them at any time. Other times, they may defer to either Nav Canada in controlled airspace or they may defer to somebody like Orange, the air ambulance company here in Ontario. In that case, they'll often have a number for the dispatch of Orange or the under other entity that they'd like you to contact. This is actually even easier because these are aviation professionals who will understand what you need to do, what you're doing, and the protocols involved. 
Again, some of the dispatchers may not be as familiar with our pass operations as they could be. In the lack of any other procedure, what I would prefer as an operator is to call them before the operation and call them after the operation so there's no ambiguity about when you're in the air. As well, if you give them your cell phone number, they can call you if a last minute flight comes up. It's important to remember that even if you have permission from the operator and Nav Canada, that a helicopter or another airplane could come out of anywhere very quickly. So don't assume just because you have permission that they will call you. There are certain circumstances where things can change very, very quickly. And we all know how fast these aircraft can move. So always keep your eyes open and your ears open and be ready to terminate your operation or evade another aircraft immediately. As a member, as a good practice, what I would suggest is keep a database somewhere of the different airports and heliports that you fly to or fly near often. And that way, if you do have an operation near them, you'll know who to call right away. One of the other instances where we're gonna to have to get some extra permission to operate in certain airspace is class F restricted airspace. Now this is actually called special use airspace. I shouldn't really call it restricted, but there is restricted and there is advisory. Some examples of this type of airspace would be gliding areas, airspace around a prison, or anything else that's sort of deemed off limits to aviation. Now that doesn't mean you can't operate there, but what it does mean is you need to get permission to do so. Now, first of all, if it's in controlled airspace, you also have to have permission from Nav Canada. However, you also need permission from the operator of that airspace. So let's use a prison as an example. If you wanted to run an operation near a prison, you need to have permission. How do you find where to get that permission? Do you simply just call up the prison? No. You need to pull up the designated airspace handbook. Now this is quite a long and boring publication. However, it will cover the operators of this restricted or advisory airspace. So find your space on the map and you'll see a number by it. That number, it'll be a CYR or a CYA number, corresponds to the airspace handbook. Flip through the handbook, find your airspace, find the operator and give the operator a call. Much like what we said about the heliports, these individuals have probably already been approached about our past operations and they'll be quite knowledgeable. Once you identify yourself and explain what you're trying to do, they most likely will have a policy. Now it's gonna really depend on what that airspace is used for. For example, if it's a prison, they may only authorize operations during certain times. If it's for gliding or parachuting, they may not authorize the use of that airspace when it's active. Depending on the weather conditions or the season, it may not always be active. It's important to reach out to those individuals first, get their permission, and then if you have to ask Nav Canada, include that information in your Nav Canada request. As much as they should, they generally don't speak to each other as much as, as they could and that will simplify the whole process and stop you from having to go back and forth between the two entities. Now the last type of restricted airspace isn't really airspace at all, but it's SFOC. 
Now, an SFOC is a Special Flight Operations Certificate. Most of us are familiar with this term from our past operations. However, it's important to note that the SFOC is actually an aviation-wide requirement. There are often times where big air operators, such as Air Canada, would use an SFOC to sort of operate outside the normal rules in a certain circumstance. Now, one time when they might use that, just as an example, would be if the aircraft is not certified for something, but they would like to fly that aircraft to a maintenance base. Um, one example on an airplane that I'm familiar with is if they need to move the aircraft with the gear down, they need to request an SFOC from Transport Canada. Obviously, Transport Canada will then write them back and have certain limitations that have generally already been thought of by the maintenance personnel and operations personnel, such as not carrying passengers on board. So it's not just an RPAS thing. In saying that, it has been adapted for RPAS operations, and so we'll talk a little bit about it. Now, a special flight operations certificate is when you need to operate outside of the normal rules set out in the Canadian Aviation Regulations. Some examples might be operating at higher altitudes than 400 AGL, operating a drone that's heavier than 25 kilograms, or anything else. Now, if you wanted to do this, you need to go on Transport Canada's website, and when you go through the drone safety portal, it will direct you towards a form. This form gets filled out and sent to Transport Canada. Unlike the Nav Canada request that can be normally done fairly quickly, these take several weeks. So make sure you're planning ahead on these. The other thing that Transport Canada would like to see is a safety plan. As we've talked about in other podcasts, Transport Canada likes to use a risk matrix. The basic operations is quite low risk. Advanced operations are riskier, and SFOCs are even riskier. What they would like you to do is identify some of the risks in your operation and then show in advance how you're mitigating them. Now, if we recall from some of our CRM discussions and human factors, what this does is it creates awareness about a threat and lets it be a planned threat instead of an unplanned threat. By mitigating them, when times are slow, maybe you're working on your computer at home, you're able to develop a comprehensive plan to operate safely, which is a lot better than trying to do it ad hoc while the drone is in the air. Some examples of this might be additional spotters using, or you may want to have some extra safety equipment depending on what you're doing. It's gonna be very mission specific, but the more threats that you can identify, especially threats you think transport would identify and mitigate them ahead of time, the better chance you have for your SFOC to be approved. Now, when they do approve your SFOC, you're gonna have two numbers. One is a certificate number and one is a file number. The certificate number is pertinent to that operation only, unless you have a standing SFOC which is sort of approval to operate outside the rules in a certain way, as long as the mission parameters don't change too much. The file number will stay with you. Now, remember, you have to have that SFOC on you while you're operating. Unlike the NAV Canada approval, this is going to be sort of a one-time static approval. You're not going to have to reach back out to Transport Canada on it. Again, it's mission-specific. 
So if you want to do the same thing in a week, you either need to apply for a standing SFOC or you reapply for the SFOC. Thanks for listening to episode 13. As a reminder, don't be afraid to go on YouTube and subscribe to the channel Drones Over Canada. There's lots of free resources on there and more coming every week. Join our Facebook page and our Facebook group if you haven't done so already. And make sure you tell your friends about the podcast. See you next week.